The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hey there. Welcome to Nick Pollock and Friends, where I talk to people I know and who you should know. Wait a second. What is your last name, Doc? Kratzer. <laughs> I knew that. Doc Kratzer. Oh, man. Well, hey, Doc Doc Kratzer. I'm not even going to edit this out. I think this is hilarious. Doc Kratzer is here today. Doc, thanks for being here. Of course. Thanks for having me. (laughs) That is the most awkward introduction I've done on this podcast. But if you don't know Doc, well, I've only known Doc, what, three months now? Four months? I think so. Yeah. Something along those lines. Since summer. Since the uh, the bad news beers. We can Mm. thank Frank Stamfel. Uh, for that softball name, we were a wonderful team. You yeah, know? we we handled the left side of the defense. We did. Yeah. That's the most important side of the defense when it comes to softball, yes. without without a doubt. But uh, but no, I, I I really wanted to talk to Doc today. Doc is well. I want you to tell everybody your expertise and how you came to know Frank and Chris Towers. Okay. Um, I'll start, I guess, with my expertise. Um, I'm a filmmaker uh, by trade. I've done a little bit of a lot of things, um, primarily editing and directing um, and some producing and other things like that. Um, I came to know Chris first because I played in a podcast league that they had. Okay. Um way back probably like shortly after chris started at cbs it oh, was wow. like al chris that must Scott, have been like Keith. seven years ago something like that six yeah yeah it was a while ago okay um and so we did we did a league and uh and it was a lot of fun and it's actually interestingly that league has stayed together Al still runs it. Oh, that's great. And it's a great group of people. So we're, yeah, we're going on like, must be like year seven or something. That's amazing. Um, But uh, so that was sort of how I first connected with those guys. Mm-hmm. And then I think it was during that summer at some point, I was like, you guys, you guys need a better theme song for your podcast because that's the natural place that you go. Sure. You yeah. become friends with someone right. pretty quickly. Uh, the first place you go is you need a better you need, theme song. It's honesty, and also I can help with this problem. Right. I I have a very specific set of, set of skills. <laughs> Let me help you. Which, by the way, now now that we're talking about it, Nick, I didn't hear a theme song at the beginning of this. No, there is none. There is none. I know a guy. 
Do you? I know a guy. <laughs> um, so I have been looking for the right one, and it just never happened. And I let the whole podcast go for a year without one. Yeah, you know, now it's like you I, just come right well, into it. You're I, dropped right into the world. Right. Yeah. I, I feel like if I were to have one, it needs to be about five seconds. Yep. Like a little, like, hey, this is the environment. Welcome. Like that. Something I just like hit the that. yellow button. Yeah, the yellow button on the roadcaster. Uh, I can't use that. That is Micah's uh, Grace Kelly. The end of that fantastic song that we use for money yeah. pitch. But yeah, that that vibe. Yeah, and then like it could that. have a button too. There you go. Yeah. I could do that. Um, so anyway, yeah. So I, I met those guys uh, first in the league and then uh, at some point thought they needed a better theme song. Sure. And um, as it goes, the to that point, I think Adam Azer had been talking about players' last names and how he couldn't get the song Kokomo out of his head with players' last names. Right. So naturally that became the theme song uh, that I made for them. I just feel there are a lot of people listening right now that know exactly this song and cannot believe that you are the person that made it, Doc. Well, thank you. I I cannot believe that I'm the person that made it either because I never thought (laughs) in a million years I would be sitting in my house singing uh, fake Beach Boy harmonies to uh, last names of baseball players. I remember when I was doing it, my wife at one point walked in and and looked at me and said, what are you doing? Right. Yeah. And I said, it'll take too long to explain. (laughs) I'll just show you the song later. And that's trust, though. Yeah. You know, it seems like you found a great one. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So um, so that was that was how I kind of connected with those guys. So, yeah, I've been playing in the league with Al since then and uh, and became friendly with with the other guys, uh, particularly um, Chris. Once I moved to New York, I was right here a few years back um, for another project for a while. Chris and I hung out some and and then and then being here again. There so, you go. And yeah. how did you get in that podcast league in the first place? It was, uh, you know, it was like one of the, one of the leagues where they, it was like a listener's league, you know? So they'd like say, oh, we need whatever. Yeah. Four people or something like that. Four people send an email and, you know, it was like, whether it was like a trivia question Mm -hmm. or, you know, there was some sort of. So you essentially, I I love doing this at times. You won some prize essentially for being a part of that league, right? I mean, you, you got the trivia question right they accepted your answer. You got invited into that podcast league. Then you decide, okay, I'm now friends with them. I'm going to make their song. Become so close. You go to New York. You then meet Chris Towers in person. You hang out with him. It's going great. They yeah. say, you know what? We're going to have a softball team. Right. You should come by. And it's full of fantasy baseball It is. Adam Ronis is on it, yeah. you know, of course, as well. Um, and Frank. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, then I met doc. That's, that's what it is. All because you won that contest years ago. It'll it, be on my tombstone. It led to you being in this room right now. It's on your tombstone. <laughs> Winner of that. <laughs> you know, I've been telling people that I, I moved to New York for another work project. Sure. But, there but, it is. You know, it's like, if I'm being specific, maybe the project was to befriend all of you guys there in it some is. really you know, creepy, creepy way. I accept it. It's yeah. you know, I'm happy for it. I'm I feel lucky that you did. You know? Thanks, man. Uh but uh but okay, so uh, the other question I wanted to ask really 
was you've done updates to this song, correct? You did it once, and I think you've done it a second time. I appreciate the deep, deep dive into this yes. song and the attention to detail. Absolutely. Yeah, there have been there have been a couple of updates, and actually, um, the second year mm-hmm. um, after the song existed, we did an entirely different theme song, and um, a good friend of mine, Dave Scaff, who's also an avid baseball nut. Oh, nice. Um, we share some teams, and he's in the league with with Al and the guys. Um, he and I wrote a different parody and it was to, we didn't start the fire by Billy. Oh, Joel. wow. Yeah. And it was the, f- and we went, we had way too much time on our hands that year. I think we, we did the whole song. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and honestly, if you're talking about as far as parody baseball theme songs go, like definitely that was the top of the mountain for us. Sure. Yeah. 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 That sounds, that's ambitious. <clears throat> it was, it was, it was, it was months in the making. Right. Um, does, uh, does David Scaff do any jingles or anything like that? Does he work on that? You or? know, Dave, Dave was a ad guy for a long time. See, so I'm sure that he's, so here's he's the thing. If I were him, his feet in those if I were waters, him, I would call those a scaffolding. Oh, that's what I, I would like do. it. I like it personally. Just want to throw see, that out into the world. <laughs> maybe the URL is available. <laughs> Oh no! What have I done? Okay, uh, so so you did who? Uh, we didn't start the fire. Yeah, and then and then sort of from there, it was like the next year. I think we did a different parody again, but at that point, it, everyone everyone loves the Kokomo one, and that was the one that had sure. become like they were still playing it on Fridays. Yeah, and it, it's become so uh, you know, yeah, so legitimate. We, it's a legacy now. Yeah, so we updated it um, a couple times, mm-hmm. and the best part or uh, this is a little, this is some insider stuff since we're so deep in this theme hey, song. Nick Pollock and friends exclusive. Here, here. we go. This is an this exclusive. Is yeah. So, you know, the song, the chorus, the guy who comes in singing that very famous, yes, you know, uh, and always gets the big laugh, the big booming voice. It is not me. I'm all the other voices in it. The guy doing that, because I, I tried it in a version and I didn't like how I sounded doing it. Uh, I found him on Fiverr. Is that right? Yeah, Fiverr. And uh, so I keep reaching out to this guy whenever we update the song. That's amazing. And he has never asked, like, what is this for? Like, it's so <laughs> he just I knows can that only, one line. Or, I, yeah, yeah. And I can only imagine, <laughs> and I only send him like little snippets. So I can only imagine, like, what he, he thinks he's singing oh, for that's or so what. Funny. But, but the last time we updated it, he was off of Fiverr. So. But I needed to find yeah, him right, because right. I wanted his voice there. Yeah, so, of course. But anyway, yeah. So, and, and, but you found him. Oh yeah, yeah. Of course he did. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. I wouldn't be here. I'd still be looking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have. I mean, I have a similar story in that. Um, the uh, some people thought that the 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 theme for the first pitch podcast or introduction. I don't even want to call it a theme. It, it, we wanted to make it sound like a radio show as much as mm-hmm. we could. So we got this whole thing with like the radio sound. I don't even want to do an interpretation of it and embarrass myself so much right now. I actually do think it's one of these buttons on this right now. Yeah, I'm going to do it really quickly. I think I got it. I'm going to put a low volume. That. That oh, yeah. thing. Yeah. Yep. This is not me. That's not your voice Welcome doing that sound? First pitch podcast. This guy. People thought that that was me. Really? For the longest time, I get all these questions like, "Oh man, I I don't like this podcast because like he's do- Nick is doing this silly thing at the beginning, making it." I'm like, "I didn't do this. I could never do this. It's terrible." I found him on Fiverr. Fiverr is an amazing. It's site. unbelievable. Are they a sponsor of the podcast? They should <laughs> they be. Are. We should reach out to them. Nick Pollock and Friends uh, brought to you by Fiverr. Uh, it, it's you know, 
I had to go back to that guy uh, multiple times because we changed how we did things. I had to get one for Alex fast because he's doing it on the weekends. And then we changed it from Patreon to get PL plus and all this stuff. And I, I'm hoping for, I can reach out to him again this year. Cause we got to change once again, the name of it to, uh, I, we're going to change who are the host this year. I'm probably not doing the first pitch podcast. Uh, this year I haven't, Another podcast going to be doing, and we'll talk about that in February. Can't wait. Sounds exciting. Can't wait. So many podcasts and all that fun stuff. But uh, but yeah, Fiverr is is super helpful. It's um, great. I've used it to to have like celebrity impersonators call friends oh, and leave them amazing. voicemails. I mean, it's it, you can find anyone to do right. nearly anything on Fiverr. It's it's so great, and, and it really does help, especially you know the small business, a, a small project, all that stuff too. Yeah, I want to do this thing, but I just I can't do it. Um, sure, you know, you you in some ways you get what you pay for, but there's a lot of just amazing stuff for. I think I I don't remember how much I spent for this. It was like thirty dollars or something for the for the podcast. I got so much more than that for for what I did, and it can be so helpful just so that a little extra push and also is really adds fuel to the project for you. You get so excited. I heard that. I'm like, okay, great. Now I feel more motivated to do this because this came out so well. I got the uh, the the fireside chat with Spore. You're listening to the fireside chat. Yeah, I had multi. I had two guys. I was like, you know what? I'm going to compare two of them with this. And one guy gave me the nice crackle of fire and the, the perfect calm attitude. Like, yep, there it is. Done. You know, that's uh, great. I, that's such a good time. But yeah, you have that one guy. Who, yeah. Did you even explain it to him when you reached out this recent time? No. <laughs> At this point, it would be so weird to explain it now. He's right. never asked. So I'm just going to let it be what it is. And, and that I, I love that. So. I, I think that's amazing. So, all right. So, so all of that aside, that's why you're here. This is your, your history a little bit yeah. of how we, we, you know, we became friends. Yeah. I wanted to bring you on um, because you have a very specific craft that I want to hear all about. I actually even uh, heard a little bit about it uh, after you saw Ghostbusters three or oh, that's right. afterlife, yeah, I should we, say. We saw each other at the bar. Right. Yep. And you started talking about this and I said, stop. <laughs> I want to hear all of this over podcasts. Cause I, I want to, I have so many questions about it. Um, so what I normally do is I, I say, let's start at the very beginning. Was uh, video production, something that when you were young as a kid, you steal the camcorder and make films, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, you know, when I was a really young kid, I never thought about it as like something that I could do professionally. Sure. But, but I was always running around borrowing my aunt's video camera. Um, what a great you know, aunt. She was a great aunt. Well, yeah. she's actually just a regular. <laughs> she's my mom's sister. But uh, you can see why we're the... friends, guys. Yeah. No, no you, want, you want the other oh, one. Oh, yeah. That, you don't one. want that. You want that. Thank you. There it is. Um, But... Uh, but anyway, yeah. So, so you know, kind of the standard story uh, about always making little movies and stuff with friends and right. Um, and um, and yeah. And then when I was in high school, I had a great teacher who he was an English teacher mostly at the school, but he taught a couple film classes. Mm-hmm. And I think that was for me when I sort of realized, like, oh, there are there are jobs that people do. It's not just this magic thing you go to on weekends. It's, it's a still giant magical. Screen. It still is, but it gave me like an insight into, yeah. oh, I could, 
I could like pursue it, this as a job. It's tangible. You know? It's not yeah. this distant thing that you feel so separated from. Yeah, because he really pulled back the curtain on on the filmmaking process and you know all the different roles and disciplines behind the camera right. and and how that works. So that sort of I think got me got me cooking. Um, thinking about it long term and kind of around the same time. So I like many American boys growing up wanted to be a major league baseball player. What? When I grew up. No yeah, way. Can you believe that? Get out of here. Um, and, uh, and I was playing, playing baseball, you know, all the time as a kid. And, and, um, and I tore my rotator cuff in high school. I'm so sorry. Uh, thank you. Uh, I, I'm still getting over it. No, yeah. I'm kidding. No, I, I mean, um, honestly, I, I would understand if you took it this long. <laughs> um, but, uh, but it was, you know, sort of that happened and I had these film classes going and it sort of, I think, led me more down this path of like a career in the arts sure. versus spending, you know, almost all my waking hours working on baseball, which is what I had been doing in my early mm-hmm. teenage years. Um, and it allowed me to sort of refocus on the stuff that was related to filmmaking. So, um you know, I am curious, uh, when you were younger, do you remember, I mean, you must remember the films, like the first ones you did, the stories that you... Oh, the ones I made? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And w- what was just a highlight of those? Uh, you know, I, I made a movie that was the aunt whose camera I borrowed. Uh, I made a whole short film that was from her dog's point of view, which Love I it. think was, was actually, I wish I had it. Um, but basically, I, you know, the whole thing was shot from dog level okay. up at people. And I was like, you know, crawling around like a dog filming my family. And it was at like devotion a, to the art. Never, yeah, never yeah. changed. Never. Uh, dwindled. I, I was all in with it. Yeah. Uh, and it was at some family, you know, barbecue or get together like mother's day or something right. like that. You oh know, my. so and you were that kid. Yeah. And yeah, I was that kid. I was always <laughs> that kid. So Amazing. for better or for worse. Um, but that was, that was probably one of the highlights. And then, uh, I actually just reconnected with an old friend of mine. We went to grade school together and we both almost failed eighth grade English because we made, we somehow convinced our English teacher to let us do a book report as a video project. Sure. Yeah. And then just went off and made like a short film that had nothing to do with the book. Yep. We showed it in class. The whole class thought we were heroes, you know, and then the teacher was like, Absolutely this not. wasn't the assignment. Right. Like, you know, so I, I, I so those are probably my I two the highlights. Same thing. I, I don't really? think I told you this. No, I was super into, uh, I don't know, filmography, just making films as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took four years of uh, a film in, in high school as oh, like cool. my elective uh, yeah. that I had uh, my high school. Also, years before that, we would do projects and submit it as videos as opposed to whenever we could. Of course. There's one, there's so many bad ones. I mean, <laughs> I there was one about um, we had to talk about an instrument um, not native to America, something like that. We, we got to do something on a didgeridoo at some point. And there's this Great. one song called What Does a Didgeridoo? That turned into, of course, as one does as a 12-year-old, like a hostage situation or something like that, you know? <laughs> something so dumb that we... I get, we got a good grade in. I don't know how. Um, we had one with physics where literally I was inside of a Fisher Price car. Do you know those? Like those plastic ones? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I didn't fit into that. But once again, it was like a hold up. We were 12, Fantastic. 11, you know. Yeah. But in, in high school, there were, um, I was really into it. I learned like you stick the camera on the tripod, you record something, 
and then you go into the shot and out of it, and then you can cross dissolve. Oh yeah. So we had Revenge of the Ghost. Great. Well, ah, it, it was a classic. I, classic film. Did you ever? Uh, I I remember similarly. Like I I made a thing in high school with myself where I was just it was locked off camera, so it was me sitting with myself at a table like having a conversation. Yes. So you, so you just like took half of it. And yeah. You just like split it. Yeah. The line down the middle and then recorded the first one. And then like I had a, I had an earpiece in, you know, for the ear that you couldn't see. Right. Turn. And yeah. Oh, that's good so stuff. good. Those oh are fun. God. It made all the, all the like school projects feel not like work. Right. It was just, yeah. it was, it, well, anytime for me that I had an opportunity to be creative. Yeah. Was, I just jumped at that. Yeah. Right. In, in English class, I hated doing any sort of analytical essay. But if you allowed me to come up with what a next chapter would be all day, Off I would to do the that. It's why I yeah. didn't even take history my senior year. <laughs> I was like, no, I don't. This is nothing creative. It's just <laughs> there's nothing of exploration of myself in here. I can't do this. But uh, but no, I mean, a film. I mean, oh, I made I, I made like a Charlie Chaplin film. Uh, we had to do a so silent, silent film. We had to do a silent one, but everyone else did like an interpretation of like, oh, I'm making tea in the morning or something. Just no, no dialogue. We're like, nah, we're going to do like evil mustache, you know, Great. all that stuff. We, we had like the whole, like it was all iMovie. I don't know if that's what you were using um, later on or maybe not. Yeah. The, the earliest stuff, the, the grade school stuff I was doing, we were still on, on tapes. It was not oh, wow. digital. Okay. Yeah. So right. I didn't mean then, to age you at no, all. Doc. No, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, iMovie was when I was in high school is yeah. when iMovie No, that's what it was for me. Like yeah. A, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but you could, at that point it would be like, you'd shoot something, you could save like five seconds of video on the computer because it would fill up the whole oh, I computer. Know. So you well, can this really, is, this is something I didn't realize is that the, a lot of these, we, uh, we made one called the evil leprechaun where you have like a empty trash bag, a trash can that you thought was his pot of gold. It was, and he wore an army helmet. Do you have these still? Uh, I don't have the leprechaun. I have evil mustache. I have that one. I don't have revenge of the ghost. There was one, the tape, which was <laughs> the stupidest. I mean, it, it was our teacher found a, a briefcase and he walks to the room, right? To, to put it into the thing to like to, to watch it. And as he's watching it, um, someone is, is walking the same path he took. And then you, there's one shot we had, which is of him watching the, the footage. And then you see the person walking at the same time and it's live. It's like the same thing twice. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole thing. And then what do you know? The person shows up and kills him. Like that's, of course. Duh. Yeah. But I, but yeah, I mean, all of these, they, they were on the computers and then the next semester happened and then they just reset them Yeah. and they didn't, they didn't save these for us. So yeah, mm-hmm. I only, I only have evil mustache. That's great that you it's have somewhere that. on the interweb yeah. somewhere. Yeah. I will not tell you the full name of this thing. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so it's search. It's it's like it's freely available. I don't think it's called the, Evil Mustache. Uh, I hope it's not. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, so that's cool. So I, I love hearing about these 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 ones that you used to do. I'm sure there's there's more that you have. Oh yeah, there were tons. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other really good ones. I mean, I also in high school like became one of the guys there whenever there needed to be video for anything. Sure. Yeah. You know, like so we had. Um, I remember we made a really, really great, great video about like our senior pranks and like, you know, all that stuff. Senior so, pranks. Senior pranks. What'd you do? Oh, uh, I don't think it was anything groundbreaking. It was actually just like a, 
there were there were the pranks themselves, but then we like made this video and then we played the video, you know, sort of in an unauthorized way over of course all the TVs and you know. Okay, all right, yeah, so there you stuff. go. But it was fun. You know, there were there's somewhat I like some people were really into senior pranks. It's like oh creativity, let's go. And the one that I had found that I thought was hilarious, and we there's no way we'd do is labeling uh, three chickens one, two, and four, and laying them loose in a school. <laughs> You know, and then, and then they will always be looking for three and it, it will never show up. The other one was I, <laughs> which I thought was just more obnoxious. I, I didn't want to do it because we didn't do it. Um, but I just felt bad for the people that would have to do it, which was having alarm clocks like through random lockers. Mm, yeah. And but the thing is, all that would happen is that the people that, you know, work hardest in the school have to then like open all of these lockers and turn them on. It's just like, I don't want that. I think that's the thing with a lot of that stuff is, is especially as you're a kid and you're in the moment, you can kind of get carried away. But ultimately, more often than not, it unfortunately falls on the people that yeah, not- you really don't want to have to deal with this. Exactly. Like they're the ones who are going to have right. to deal with yeah, it. Yeah. So. so so we didn't, I don't think we did anything ultimately, which yeah. I think is the right choice. Yeah. But yeah, if you do a prank, it's got to be, I don't know. Good pranks are good pranks. Let's yeah. just go with that. Yeah. But uh, all right, I do want to hear about your transition from, of course, uh, that wonderful conversation with you having an earpiece in the opposite ear to, uh, to you know, your, your actual career and everything. And before we do, we're going to take a quick break. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show all right, so so that was essentially high school stuff, uh, yep. and then you go off to college. Was it with uh, was that a school specifically uh, for video production? Uh, it was not specifically for video production. So I studied journalism at the University really? of Missouri. Yep, in Columbia, Missouri, which nice. is one of the best uh, journalism schools in the country. Um, and I grew up in St. Louis, a uh, couple hours away. So um, that same teacher in high school that I mentioned had also put me on to the idea that there are film schools in California that you can go to. Um, so that was something that I wanted to do, but I had decided to do it for grad school. Okay. Um, and, and the thought being there was this great school two hours away. Broadcast journalism is what I majored in. So I thought this wouldn't be a bad thing to go spend four years playing around with cameras and Avid. Sure. Avid is the uh, computer software, one of the one of the types of software you use to edit. So, And they taught you how to do a podcast theme for CBS as well. Exactly. Yeah. 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 How to write. I, I think sophomore year was podcast parody theme songs. Yeah. Right. There it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was good. I got a B. Actually. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unreal. Um, but uh, but yeah. So I so I did that. And then um, as I was getting into like the second half of college, it dawned on me that, well, if I'm going to get into film school, I have to make 
something that's actually good, that like makes, not just these yeah, right, fun right. videos with my friends, you know. Um, and and then I sort of thought about, well, you know, what is accessible to me, like given my resources and my what's going on in my life at this time. And I thought, okay, I should do a documentary because that's a good kind of crossroads. It's filmmaking, but it's also broadcast journalism. Mm-hmm. I have. I have many more resources on the documentary side at my disposal at this particular school. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Um, And then I I thought, well, what is a documentary subject that would be interesting enough for me to spend a huge chunk of my time on? And, um, you know, as as many uh, people who grew up in the 80s, my first thought was Back to the Future. Oh yeah, favorite Duh. movie of all time. Of course. Um, and I thought, you know, there, and and at that point too, like the the timing of it. Hold on a second. Yeah. You said favorite movie of all time. Yeah. I, my understanding is that that crown goes to Ghostbusters. Mine. Yes. Oh, you know, I, no, I, Ghostbusters is like top five for me. Okay. And and they're almost all on the same level, but if I absolutely like had to pick one it would be back to the future i mean it's a good choice i think back to the future for me well apparently it was the first movie i ever saw (laughs) this is true i don't remember it but my dad claims when i was when i was a little kid and very young uh you know he i was i was obsessed with clocks and uh and if you remember the opening of Back to the Future, well, there's right, this the long giant, tracking yeah. shot with a whole bunch of clocks. So uh, as the story goes, my dad saw the movie. I was two when Back to the Future came out. Um, and and he thought, oh, I got to bring him to see these clocks. So Definitely. he like brought me in. We saw the clocks. And I was way too young to stay at the movie. So then we left. But as the story it goes, is. first movie I ever saw. What did you like about clocks? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> They they I'm, made noise rhythmically. Are a very wonderful, mysterious thing. Yeah, uh, the precision to calculate time is fascinating to me. How do I calculate time? A clock doesn't, <laughs> right? The actual yeah, but a clock has to find a way in nature, essentially, that equates to a full second, you know, yep. perfectly. That's exactly I think when I was two. Yeah, that's that what you're, the perfection you of, that's they, exactly yeah, yeah, why that's I was in a yeah. clock. They are yeah. interesting things and there's a lot of expression and culture in the variety of them. Yeah. I can, I can grasp why someone would be massively into clocks. Yeah. Just yeah. at two, was it because the bird came out? I don't Probably. Know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, I think so. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, uh, <laughs> So that movie has been my favorite movie forever. And and as I got older and as I started thinking about filmmaking as a discipline and as a career, it's also a movie that you can look at and the script is just flawless. Like it's a mm. it's a perfect yeah, okay. script yeah, yeah. when you're talking about like telling a story in 90 minutes or two hours, you know, on screen. You look at how it's written, how it's executed, and you can learn so much about is filmmaking. This, is this why you're called Doc? No. Uh, no. And actually when I was... So when I was making this documentary, I had to go by my my given name, my legal name, Daryl. Because it would have been the Doc Doc because Doc. Because I, did, I didn't want people to be like, "What? who's this crazy guy who like named himself after a character and now he's asking to come to my house to interview me? Like, I'm not going to let him in the door, you know? So, uh, but no, my initials are DOC. So right, okay. um, so right when I was born, because my, my dad and grandfather are both named Daryl, which is my given first name, my grandpa said, uh, we're going to call him Doc. He's... 
And he made the joke, he's the youngest doc at the hospital, Aww. which is a sweet, sweet yeah, thing. Wonderful. He was a good man. Yeah. Um, so that just sort of stuck with me with um, everyone, but, you know, like the IRS. I really do hope you said docs, doc, doc. Docs, as doc, the name doc. Of it's this. a lot of docs. Yeah. 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 Um, so <laughs> I made this thing. This was what I decided to do to get into film it school. It sounds great. And it was fun. And it was right at the time when DVD special features were a huge thing. Sure. Yeah. And and my thought was I want to make the best like documentary type DVD special feature about the making of this movie as I can. Um and the timing of it was also interesting because it came right when like the internet was, you know, huge. Yeah. But people still weren't like totally aware of like what was on it and everyone had landlines. So I say that because it made it much easier for me to get in touch with people because the white pages were online for every city sure. and everyone had a landline. Yeah. Um, so I started uh, reaching out um, early on to people who I figured had would have never been interviewed about the movies because I thought, well, I can't call Michael J. Fox or Christopher Lloyd, even if I had their number, like, what are they going to, you know? I need to build up some some cred first. So <laughs> so I, I reached out to like, you know, costumer or or boom operators. Um oh, that's great. You know, things yeah, like yeah. that. People who I figured, you know, I'm sure they have a ton of stories. I assume this was a great experience, and I bet nobody's asked them to talk about it. Yeah. Um so that was how I sort of started it. And I was going out to uh LA like twice a year. Um two or three times a year to do interviews whenever I could get a break mm-hmm. uh, from and, school. And how were you uh, recording these? What was uh, the whole process you had with that? So I was, I was a one man band. Okay. Uh, and, and if you look at it, you can tell. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it looks great. I was, it's like, it's like looking at, well, you hadn't gone to grad school yet. That's the point. I, no, I hadn't, I didn't know what I was doing. Right. You know, yeah. it's like, it's like looking back at a picture of yourself when you have braces and zits on your face, oh, you know, or but whatever. Like was, that's just, you're you curating at, yourself. You're, I was learning. Yeah. And it was a great way to learn. And the people that I spoke with were so generous mm. with their time and giving of their knowledge to me, both like in the interview, but also, you know, I'm like at their houses, I'm setting them up. And, and I think that was part of the the reason that I was able to talk to so many people is because I was clearly a kid who like genuine like it was all genuine there was no this wasn't a financial I wasn't trying to make a documentary to then sell it and make money like I loved loved the movies and also I mean I'm sure you made all these people feel so appreciated you know for what they did which is can be I imagine a really tough thing in the industry is that Everyone gets all these this praise for these movies, but there are hundreds of people involved and maybe five get that. And for you to go to them and say, no, you were involved in this. Yeah. It must have been a great feeling for them. I hope so. I think so. I mean, and, and it also led me to even appreciate more kind mm. of these craft disciplines on um, on movies and all the right. different roles behind the camera. Um, so ultimately, I think that did sort of lead me down this path of what's been the majority of my career, which has been editing. Right. Um, but uh, I finished the movie. I finished college. I got into grad school. And can I watch that documentary online? Yes. It, the I documentary. Can. Yes. So I wound up, uh, I wound up, I did wind up selling the documentary uh, to Universal. Oh, wow. And it's on um, the Back to the Future Blu-ray and DVD Get sets. out of here. Yeah. It's, oh, that's amazing. So I think the first set it was on that it 
came out was 2007 or 2008 on a DVD set. And then I think every release since then, it's always included. That makes now. me so happy, Doc. Yeah, that, That's such a cool thing. You know, you decide, you know what? I love this movie so much. I'm just going to do this. Yep. And you make fun of it, whatever you want to say. It doesn't matter. Universal said, no, this is great. They are appreciating you for this. They could have easily said, whatever, kid. Yeah. They didn't. And now everyone gets to see your passion uh, assigned to this. Anyone that has that aligns with you. That's such a cool thing. Thank you. Um, they did say whatever, kid, though. I got <laughs> I got to tell the whole story. So so I was like having the time of my life. And, and I, you know, as I mentioned, I started out with people who are sort of more on the fringes of the crafts. And then once I would have five or six people, I would then ask somebody who I figured was a little more important in the grand scheme of the crew, the hierarchy of the crew. Yeah. And eventually got to the point where I was interviewing, you know, Christopher Lloyd. And at that point he hadn't really done, uh, in spite of what he seems like on screen, like he's a pretty shy guy Mm -hmm. and he hadn't done very many interviews and have never done like a long form interview about back to the future. Oh my God. So I'm on what I think at the time is my last trip to LA to do interviews. And I'm on cloud nine because I went out there to interview Bob Zemeckis, the director Mm -hmm. while I'm out there, my cell phone rings and it's Christopher Lloyd saying, Hey, I heard you're wanting to do an interview with me. Why don't you come over to my place tomorrow? Amazing. And then my cell phone rings and it's a gentleman from Universal Home Video saying, come in, we want to talk to you about your documentary. Oh my and God. so I'm like through the roof. Uh, I go in for that meeting. And again, I'm like, you know, I'm a 20 year old kid. Yeah. I go into this room. There's like six people from Universal Home Video and two of them are lawyers. And basically they were like, don't even dare try and release this. We know you don't have the rights. We know you can't afford the rights. And if you put this out there, we're coming after you. Like oh that my was, God. So, so the meeting didn't go as planned. Sure. Uh, and that was a little soul crushing. <laughs> but I thought, well, I can at least like show it in some film festivals or something. And at the very least, it'll get me into film school. Or maybe at that point I was already in because I had sent like an early cut or something. So it, it had done its job. I had learned a lot. Um. And then um, it wound up getting me a job offer in L.A. Mm. at a company that was making that type, those types of uh, short documentaries. And I took that job instead of going to grad school because I thought I'll, I'll go to L.A., get my feet wet for a year. I, didn't, I knew two people in L.A. Um, and I thought it would be good to sort of space out those giant life yeah, sure. Um, change good experience too with this yep. that you won't be wouldn't be taught at grad school. Yeah. yeah, it's like when you when you grow up wanting to work in the film industry, when you get that first job offer, regardless of what it is, that yeah. is, even if it's film adjacent, you know, it's really hard to say no. Yeah, of course. Um, and so, flash forward a couple of years, and I was I was producing and editing and writing that type of content at um, another company at that point, and was on a call with. Um, Universal, and they were just talking about some some of their like catalog evergreen titles that they were going to do new releases of, and they mentioned Back to the Future, and I like played it very cool. And I was like, hey, I you know I made this thing a couple of years ago, and by that point, none of the same people were there. Right? Yeah. Um, could I send it over? Like, check it out. You guys might be interested in it. 
you know, I didn't say, oh, I made a full length documentary about this movie and I had 40 interviews, you know, (laughs) so like really undersold it and sent it over. And that was how it wound up. Gotcha. So, so then they they were like, threatened you first. Yes. And then have they seen it when they had threatened you? Uh, yeah, I had sent somehow I, I had gotten in touch with, with, uh, one guy there and he's like, yeah, send it over. We'd love to see it. And I sent over like a, you know, probably 10 minutes of it or something at that point. And of course, I'm sure it had film clips in it and I was using the score from the movie and all these, you know, all these things that you like can't do if you're selling it, but but I wasn't for a student project. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So, um, so anyway, so yeah, it it came like full circle and, and it, it felt like a real, I mean, that's a dream. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, I hear about this stuff all the time in in the video game world where they're making ROMs or stuff like this. They're just trying to heighten their passion for it. And all the times you hear a gang shut down and stuff, but sometimes you get, examples where you know someone i think there's something about even like sonic the hedgehog fans Mm -hmm. then began working with the team because of that passion and that that's always what you hope you feel that that's what should happen it's really cool that it happened to you yeah thanks yeah it was it was a great it was a great experience i learned so much and and made some really great friends and and one of the guys um was uh the editor there were two editors on the movie and they were both incredibly gracious to me with their time and um, and I think that that in getting to know him and and talking with him more, that sort of pointed me in this direction too of, you know, finding what craft it was within the larger umbrella of the film industry that really could be what I was going to pursue. Sure. And 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 knowing that I always wanted to be a director, but also knowing that you know when you're 22, no one is going to say, "Here, go direct this." Right. So I thought, what's the What's the next best thing that'll pay the bills, allow me to continue my education, Mm -hmm. which editing does, um, and, you know, and sort of still pursue that larger goal of just being a great storyteller. And is that what you did? Did you do this for a year and then go back uh, to grad school? No. So, so a year came and went and, um, and then right around that time, I got another offer to go to a different company to do more of that same type of documentary stuff. And I was having a blast doing it. I was learning a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just did that. And then and then sort of within a few years, I kind of found that editing felt like the path for me. So then my focus became shifting from the documentary world to working in scripted TV and movies, uh, you know, the types of things that I grew up watching and wanting to work and on. What was the first one you did? Uh, Glee. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I was, uh, it was in- incredibly lucky that, that was the first like full on um, scripted TV yeah. show that I went to they, work they, on. They kept you for a while, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> it it was the best. It, again, like with the continuing education, that show I learned so much about about filmmaking because every episode, or even within episodes, things were radically different. Right. You know, it's yeah. like you go from a. It's like a. On one hand, there might be a character who's, you know got her wisdom teeth pulled and is fantasizing that she's Britney Spears and she's dancing a Britney Spears music video. And then you cut to a scene where it's like a very real grounded scene about a teenager telling his dad that he's gay for the first time, you know, and it's like everything in between that too. So I just, I learned so much. And fortunately, because the show was successful, it went on for a long time. So that was really how I transitioned into the scripted world. and, And I was there for about five years. I'm terribly sorry. I've never watched an episode of Glee. That is okay. It's amazing that I'm happy without Glee. 
Then you, you don't know, need it. It's uh, I, I, yeah, I, I guess so. I've heard wonderful things, and I'm sure it was only wonderful because of your oversight. Oh, bless or you. Your, your... Uh, no, I was I was a small piece of a a large machine with a <laughs> with a bunch of incredibly bright people you, at the top. Um, do you have uh, someone that really took you under their wing, and uh, do you remember some specific direction that really stuck with you from them? Yeah, I, you know, I've I've had a lot of people who have been really generous to me as far as uh guiding me or giving me insight at, at that point um the guy who who taught me a bunch was the supervising editor of glee and he went on to direct a number of episodes a great guy named brad beaker and um he's still the best editor i've ever ever mm. worked with or known um and and he took me under his wing for sure and just really taught me the ins and outs of cutting scripted television because it's a very different discipline than cutting documentary and of course there are tons of overlap of skills but each each different type of content has its own nuances and sure and things and um when i came into it i knew nothing you know right. i didn't know what i didn't know right and um and i think i came out the other side of that because of him and a number of other people there like with this great toolbox of you know how to be a how to be a great visual storyteller. Yeah. So, so so Brad Beaker, right? Yeah. It's the thing is though, I'm actually a bigger fan of Earl. Um, that is Earl and Meyer Flask. Mm-hmm. I think he does a better job personally, but I mean Fine. Beaker is up there Fine. too. I know. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. so sorry, everyone. Hi. I just it's need to great. bring it down. No, it's great. Because this this is wonderful, and I'm like, no, gotta do dad jokes. Okay, so. Uh, so Brad Beaker teaches you a lot of this stuff yep. with Glee. Yep. What's the next step from there? Uh, then then I was kind of on this path of, well, while I was at Glee, I had been working as an assistant editor and I got bumped up to edit an episode um, when there was an opportunity and that went well. So then the following season, they said, we want you to keep editing. And then I did that for a few years. So I, I came out the other side of Glee looking to continue on this television editing path. Um, but I was very cognizant of having just worked on a musical comedy. I wanted to really try and do something different than that. because what, I, You didn't want to go straight to Pitch Perfect or uh, something else? I mean, what I was worried about at the time, because it happens everywhere and it really happens in the film industry, is getting pigeonholed yeah, as right. you're the blank guy. Yep. I didn't want to be you're the musical guy or you're the musical comedy guy or as, you're the high school the person who did the CBS comedy. podcast theme. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, in my heart, I am, right? Of course. Um, but, but yeah, so, um, and fortunately, um, I was putting feelers out. Um, as I was looking for what was next. And one of the directors that I had worked with on Glee said, I'm working on this other show um, and we might be looking for an editor. Would you be interested? And that show was Sons of Anarchy. Look at which you. is the opposite of Glee. Yeah, I mean, right. literally the right, opposite. Right. Um, so of course I was really excited about yeah. about that and, and went through the process of meeting and interviewing for it and got that gig. And then I did that show for two years um so okay so i I, i've never seen this show i've heard good things about it uh and you're saying that you were involved for season one and two is that right no i was involved for the last two seasons of sons of anarchy those are the two i heard are the best seasons oh thank you yes yes well eventually we're going to get to something i've worked on that you've seen we're not there yet (laughs) but we're gonna get there how much time you got uh you know about forever yeah yeah yeah. can't wait um 
but uh, that was that was super fun. And then and then by that point, because I had those two credits that were so radically different from each other. I was in a good spot to yeah. sort of go up for other, you know, open editor. Who, who was the person that gave you that opportunity? Uh, that was a guy named Paris Barkley. Yeah, Paris, a, what a wonderful guy! Also an amazing guy and uh, incredible director. He um, he directed LL Cool J's "Mama Said Knock You Out." Video. Is that right? Oh yeah, he's done like an insane amount of stuff. Oh, that's cool. All different kinds of things. Yeah. He's just a wonderful guy and and a great great director so so okay so what were one of the things i'm trying to uh just get a quick glimpse into the craft itself i uh, obviously it's different you know musical comedy of glee versus sons of anarchy what was one thing you really learned uh that you were trying to do with glee or trying to do with sons of anarchy that you used to do with glee that you couldn't do anymore you couldn't make guys who ride motorcycles sing and dance okay no right. okay i had to say the obvious <laughs> thing um the biggest difference between those two shows, uh, as far as editorially, is that Glee was very much a, a quick, like firing on all, all cylinders. The pacing of it was like bang, 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 bang. You know, whether you're talking about jokes and humor, which usually play better fast, mm-hmm. um, or just the stories themselves, everything was very paced up and very accelerated. And Sons of Anarchy is a show where you really live in moments and the space between words. And getting acclimated to that style of cutting right. after being in this glee world for five years took a second. Yeah. You know, it, it's like the arrogance or the confidence in the words and not needing the next hit of, of dialogue or action or something. Really yeah. Believing in that. Yeah. And, um, and, and also, you know, with, with all of these shows, the, the hierarchy in television, the number one person is a, is the showrunner who's generally the head writer on the show and often created the show and each time it really comes down to their taste. You're making, you know, you're you're there to service their version and their vision of the show. So sure. some showrunners really like things, dialogue to be snappy, you know, and other showrunners really like to live in the subtext and, and you know, say things without saying them. And, mm-hmm. and so each time it's a different experience as you're figuring out what the show is if you're starting on a pilot or first season because you're going through the process with them of kind of figuring out the best version of it. Right. Or in in my case, coming into Sons of Anarchy, I was coming into this very well-established style and tone. So it was more about me figuring out what I needed to do with my work to make it blend in seamlessly so that it wasn't like, oh, this is being edited by someone who didn't edit last season. Right, yeah. So you watch a lot of Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. Yeah. A ton of it. I watched a ton of it. I um I had watched the show before I got the call. Um, but I wasn't current. And then of course I binged it and um and definitely studied going into that first season of like, you know, because you want to try and hit the ground running. Right. Yeah. So you have like a notepad, you're looking over every episode, I'm like, okay, so they cut to this and they're focusing on that. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm sure I did take some notes, but more than anything, it was sort of about letting kind of the style of it, like, I think, yeah. wash over me sure. um, and and the rhythm of it, because so much of editing is about rhythm. Right. And, um, you know, it's a whether you're talking about music itself or not, it's a very musical thing and and figuring out the rhythm of each thing. And with the case of Sons of Anarchy, it was figuring out that rhythm and how different it was from what I had been used to. And then once I locked into that, it felt very comfortable. You know, the the first thought I had is one I imagine a lot of people listening can associate with. It's the office of you get used to the shaky cam and the zoom-ins and stuff, and there's a beat to that. And that should should be weird at first, 
but you get that, you know, you expect it. You are looking for that feel and it essentially just goes away and you're locked in with it. Yeah. Yeah. The brain is really interesting the way that it receives kind of like when it is something a little outside the box with visually, but how quickly it adapts to that and right. it doesn't take you out and you just settle in. Yeah. And then sometimes you come out and you watch something normal and you're like, whoa, this feels very still. This feels <laughs> right. very quiet. What is this? Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so after Sons of Anarchy, we're going to get to the show that I've seen, which is... Oh, gosh. Uh, let's see. What did I do after Sons of Anarchy? I did a show called um, Wayward Pines nope. on Fox. Nope. <laughs> I did a show. We should just pull up the IMDb I don't watch any TV. That's through. clearly what it is. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, so, so I, I did all that stuff for a while and, um, and, and then sort of in doing that, the showrunners started to say, Hey, we want you to like oversee the editorial department or, and, and it led to like me kind of being creatively involved with every episode because typically in television editors, if on a on a one hour drama, let's say, there are generally three editors and they each work on their own episodes and it's staggered. And the reason being is it's too much work for one person to do. Right. Um, and at any given point of when you're filming, shows are in different stages. So like if I'm the first editor up in a season, I'm cutting episode one. But once they finish shooting episode one, the very next day they start shooting episode two. Right. But I'm still shepherding one and it has to go through director's cut and producer's cut and then it has to go to the studio. So you're kind of owning that episode, so to speak. And by the time that process is sort of wrapping up with that episode, they're about ready to shoot episode four. So it times out pretty well. But um, so I sort of found myself where the people I, I was working with were saying, hey, we'd love you to try and be involved with every episode. And um and that was also something that on Glee, that was my my mentor's job. So I had seen it in practice and and saw how it worked um, well. So so I started taking on other roles and and like working as a creative producer on these shows in addition to editing, and that led to some directing. Um, and then and then at some point, I sort of found myself not strategically at all, but found myself pivoting a little bit to feature films and cutting feature films. Um, and that's what I've been doing for the last four years. Look at you. That's, a, that's amazing. Yeah. That, must, that must feel great to feel like, great, I have a, a foothold in this industry. I'm not pigeonholed into something. Uh, and yeah, you have all those, these opportunities of different uh, different works. Is there one that, I mean, what would you say that you're you're proudest of inside the industry? Like, which is there a specific episode? Is there a show, a film? Yeah, I mean, both the the show and the episode. I would say, um, and I'm sure you haven't seen this. I'm bracing for that uh, because you haven't seen anything. Uh, Nothing. No, it's just a, the office. It was this great show um, that was on TNT for two years, two seasons called Good Behavior, and it was this hour long drama, dark comedy. Um, and it was the most fun I've ever had Is that right? working. It was the, I think it was some of the best stuff I've ever worked on. Okay. I will watch this show. Thank you. Just for this uh, reason. And, and the episode is, is the one that I directed because nice. that was, that was like such a dream come true for me to get to, like, that was the first time that I directed kind of at, at the level I had been working at from, from an editorial standpoint for the last, you know, 10 years or whatever. And it's surreal, you know, like I, I'm, in going through the experience, there were moments that it was so surreal to sort of look around and be like, oh my God, like, I can't believe that 
sort of up to me to like make this good or screw this up, you know, like in these moments. It's about dang time, you know? It was fun. It was a blast. I'm going to, I'm going to make a uh, a playlist on Twitter that is going through all of Doc's history. Oh my God. Oh my God. (laughs) All right, guys, it's time for me to watch Glee for the first time. Can't wait. Oh, how much time I'm going to skip the first, what, three seasons of Sons of Anarchy. Just start in the fourth or whatever one you started on. (laughs) Just do what I did. Start in season six. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Six and seven. I'm sure those are the best ones. That's what they say. You know, <laughs> go through all of them. So uh, what, what was the first film you did? Uh, the first. So I, I did. I had done some um, like some work here and there on some various movies, but not as the main editor. The first the first full studio feature I worked on uh, was called Chaos Walking. OK. That came out a couple of years ago. It was a Lionsgate movie. Um, and and the first movie that I ever did um, was a small independent movie that came out long time ago um that was called confessions of a teenage jesus jerk oh wow and it was like this small coming of age story about a kid who's who came from a very religious family and and the path that he saw for himself maybe wasn't the same uh as what his parents saw you gotcha. know it was, it, but I'm, i've always been a sucker for coming of age movies yeah, those well, are really yeah, those are cute, fun quirky little movie absolutely um all right so I, i've taken so much of your time i'm gonna ask a question ask everybody um, do you have a mantra? Oof. I guess I do, or at least lately. Sure. Uh, it's very simple. It's something just kind of that I say to myself once in a while to try and be more present in the moment and appreciate what's going on. I just remind myself to look up. It's something, uh, being here in New York, it's usually very beautiful when you look up because there are so many beautiful buildings. Yeah, but you don't want to give yourself away. That's right. That's right. You look like a tourist. Exactly. Um, but but no, it's it's um I mean it's really simple, but it it's something that I, I do remind myself to do and I I wish I did a better job of it, but it's uh something I've been focused on lately. I would say it's the closest thing I have to it. Well, I think that's a great one. It's also uh uh, goes against the popular Netflix film now. Don't look up. Exactly. So. I mean, really, what it is is uh, it's it's a shorter version of what I learned from Ferris Bueller, which is <laughs> life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss right, it. Right there, yeah. you go. No, I, I think I think that's wonderful. Being able to take time also just to kind of reflect and appreciate the things that are going well for you um, is incredibly important. And it, surprisingly, you know, by addition by subtraction idea of just hey for a moment take some time to just stop pause think about this and that will actually fuel the future better than if you just kept going and having you know to the grindstone so Absolutely. i think that's a great mantra that's wonderful yep i uh, but doc that's it that's it that's the podcast wow we did it you it was know? easier. You said it was going to be hard you said it was no, going to be difficult i absolutely did not you said say you that. had hard questions never I have the easiest questions because I, I just—it's just not Softball even like questions. I don't even have anything on this piece of paper. No, okay, you have it, a it's blank just, piece of paper. It's completely blank. The whole time you were holding it, so I couldn't <laughs> see that it was blank. Like you had these incredibly I, I, difficult questions. I would write with withholding. my pen, and there would be—it wasn't even on. Uh, you know, I yeah. should—I didn't want to click it and make the noise. But no, Doc, this was this was so much fun. I do want to give you an opportunity, which I didn't do at the beginning, of course, to really just. Advertise anything, plug anything that you're doing, how people can find you, all that stuff. Oh, boy. Um, okay, well, I'm uh, I'm currently finishing up a movie called Shotgun Wedding, which is a fun action rom-com uh, that harkens back to some, some of the really fun 80s romps like Romancing the Stone um, that'll be out 
summer of 2022. And, and who's in that film? Jennifer Lopez and Josh Duhamel Look at are that. the two leads. Yeah. Yep. And uh, Jennifer Coolidge, who has blown up recently, if you saw White Lotus, uh, which I'm sure you didn't. But I did not. People but listening may have seen the show. about yeah. it. And I know so. Jennifer Coolidge. I oh, know. Good. I know things. You doc. do. I okay. Do. Great. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So I've been I've been working really hard on that for for about the last year, and we're just wrapping it up now. So I'm excited for that to get out there. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, and uh, yeah, like everybody else, I'm on Twitter mostly for fantasy baseball stuff at Doc Kratzer. There we go. So uh, great. I can find out how to spell your last name for this yep, podcast. Exactly. It's, it's the there's two C's back to back. There it is. Uh, Doc Kratzer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and uh, one of these days I'll watch Doc's Doc Doc. Oh my God. As well. And yeah. I, I can't wait for that one. But anyway, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And as always, my name is Nick Pollock, and that was my friend, Doc Kratzer. <laughs>